these clowns don't have a waiting room. I come on on here, and they can't edit at audio, so I do whatever I want. It's amazing. What if we could zoom bomb during the event? That would be quite an experience. If you're listening to this, I know that uh, you can't edit audio, and I tried to edit the audio of my speed run today by trimming off the first few seconds, and I couldn't figure it out. So hopefully you can edit this out. I'm five minutes early, so perfectly reasonable you're not here. Actually, I'm going to go get a ginger beer. We can get started soonish if we want. We've got a full slate of things to talk about in this episode. We're trying out a few interesting new things with the format, so that'll be good. We should do the normal, like, leave 10 seconds of silence. All right, anything I need to know before we get started? Oh, the, the 10 seconds is when we pour one out for our Netrunner homies. Sounds good. That's the lore there, yeah. Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. As always, I'm your host, Nora Panzer, and I am incapable of cutting the 46th card. And I'm Josh, still Netrunner's OKS player. If this is the first time that you've ever joined Slums Cast, then I'm a little surprised, I'll be honest. You just saw a podcast named Slums Cast and you were like, yep, that, gonna do that today. Well, welcome, glad you joined us. This is a podcast about genuinely trying and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. This podcast will not make you better at Netrunner, and it also will not make you a better person. We are joined in that endeavor today by a special guest. Josh, do you want to introduce our special guest? Well, he's the heavyweight champion of Netrunner, world's top tenon. He is the master of the 99-card max. Y'all give it up for Sanjay. Sanjay, how you doing today? I'm doing great. World's top tenon, three-time. World speedrunning champion of Netrunner. Kind of forgot that that was a thing that you just did. Happened like yesterday. We'll get to that in a second. We're going to talk about all sorts of alternate Netrunner formats and challenges, but we're actually going to start today with the intro question. Wait, we're starting with that? We do that sometimes. The intro question this week, one of the great tragedies of Netrunner is that at least as far as humans experience it, time is linear. As a result, that means most humans who have ever lived did not get the chance to experience Netrunner. Which historical figure do you think would have low-key destroyed people at Netrunner? Whoa. Hmm. So I'm not a talented historian. There's like a pretty limited number of historical figures I'm familiar with. So my mind immediately went to Gregor Mendel. And I'm like, would Gregor Mendel be good at Netrunner? And I think the answer to that is no. Because I think he had his finger in too many pots. People know him for like he dedicated a lot of time to do, but no, I, you know, I take it back. Gregor Mendel, you know, he put in all that time growing those plants. Yeah, he had other side projects. Yeah, he loved bees. Yeah, he loved looking for tornadoes in Europe. Wait, he did that? I did not know. Gregor that. Mendel is noted for having the first published account of a tornado making landfall in Europe. It was a big thing because a tornado hit Brno. The town was ravaged by it. And he was struggling to contain his excitement because he was a big meteorology geek. But I think had Netrunner also been a thing, there's a lot of time when you're a monk, I think he would have had a really good deck. I think it would have been more like Abram, the big boy style, where he doesn't make a lot of tournaments, but then he shows up and you're like, um... Would he have played Isla? Since that's like the plant theme 
going on there? I think he probably was going to be too business. Like, I think it would have been too no-nonsense. If he was a contemporary, obviously, I wouldn't be building a Gregor Mendel deck. If he was at the tournament, that'd be a little bit weird. But I don't think he would be on the, like, oh, I really like bees. Like, I don't think he'd even be up for Queen Bee, you know? Yeah, I I think Gregor Mendel would crush at least me at Netrunner. He would be wanting to grow the seeds of Netrunner success. I like that, though. I mean, everyone knows that player. They show up at the tournament, and they've got a card in their deck, and you're like, oh, interesting fact about the art in that Netrunner card and they're like this card has art I think so I mean I I love Gregor Mendel he's the only historical figure I know so you know I've got to he would be a low profile like you know he would be not crushing it on Netrunner DB he might have to like publish a list once in a while because he's running out of slots you don't know his name wins a regional with just this brilliant deck that is seven cards off of what everybody thinks is right and you see his list and you're like oh you're right I dig it and I'd like to think that if Netrunner was around when he was around, he probably wouldn't have died in obscurity. Josh, what do you think? What's your take here? Okay, let me set the scene here. You've heard of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, right? I have, yes. And you get the concept behind that. Well, I was thinking more along the lines of like, except I don't know the name of this president. I know that there was a president, like he came from the mob background super corrupt and whatnot it it wasn't nixon but it was like an earlier president right and he was just like a fuck up and drunk and shit and he gets elected and he's like well i'm gonna turn this around i want to say that that's calvin coolidge but i'm not 100 percent sure on that i clearly don't know my mob themed presidents well enough sorry to the memory of taft if he wasn't involved with the mob but just like i feel like i have a a, like a mobby association with taft william howard taft that mm, sounds like a mafia man I mostly remember Taft for being very antitrust. Everyone remembers Theodore Roosevelt as being super antitrust, but Taft actually did more trust busting than Roosevelt did. We need more trust busting in Netrunner. I guess Oh yeah. I guess trust busting is, has lost by the time we're in the Android universe. Maybe that's why it needs to be a runner. Strong yeah. runner game, not greatest corp. Hold on. You know what? I know the perfect president here then, actually, to complete this analogy, because I know for sure that he was a drunk and kind of a fuck up but also did great things for our nation. And I think would do great things in Netrunner. Ulysses S. Grant, Agenda Sniper. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So what I'm thinking is he's the type of player that rolls up into a tournament, right? This guy has a reputation for taking down several store champs, maybe a regional here and there. What level tournament is the Civil War? Like the final campaigns of the Civil War? (laughs) I suppose you could call that a continental. At the very least, it's a national champ. What I'm saying, though, is he's that type of player, and we know this type of player, too. They're not particularly good, right? And you get down to start playing with him, and you're like, man, the misplays are real. But he snipes every single agenda at exactly the right time, and you're like, GG, I guess. Sometimes when you're playing Netrunner, R&D is just like, hey, come on over. Now's the time. You just go on in, and the agenda's right there, and Ulysses S. Grant was a horse whisperer, and there's a lot. that's a strong analogy there. It also makes sense, given the many scandals that dogged his administration, that he would be working off of inside information and know exactly when to run. It's not inside information to use your Millennium Eye or trust in the heart of the cards. I think my choice here, the historical figure that would have low-key been amazing at a runner, is the Greek philosopher Diogenes. 
For those who are not familiar with Diogenes, he was the shithead of the philosophers. He was like, all right, Plato, you think you're such a fucking smart dude? Well, Plato was doing his whole thing of like, oh, this is this. This is the essential character of this. A man is a featherless biped. And so Diogenes grabs a chicken, plucks out all of the feathers from the chicken, and like brings it into the place where Plato is teaching. And he holds it up and he's like, behold, a man. And that is exactly the sort of energy of showing up to a store champ with like a very, very unoptimized list that is trying to win with Severnius Stimplant and not dropping a single game. I'm guessing that this dude would be your bro. I like to think so. I don't know, though. He probably would be heavily disappointed with the fact that I like live in a house. I'm getting strong CTZ vibes, honestly. Confirmed official slum stance, CTZ is anti-house? Is? Or CTZ is Diogenes. <laughs> Everyone said it was too spicy of a take, but we have officially gone there. Yeah, the last time I was watching San San Francisco, I know he was just, you know, spending hours and hours just railing against the forms and, like, making fun of idiots in the cave looking at shadows. You're sitting in the cave looking at shadows? Just stand up, you dingus. Are we bringing slums into the allegory for the cave? I am afraid to. I don't know where we end up in that allegory. Probably not pretty, though. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Whoa, what the fuck is even the next one? I wrote you a transition here, Josh. We're allowed to curse on this? Yeah, wow, fuck. It'd be really fucking crummy if we could not curse. I agree, Josh. It would be really crummy if we couldn't curse. Oh, that, oh, that pun really was like way too obvious. Crummy? I guess it's time for baking up Think Loaves. Wait, ho hold on. Wait, what pun? I'm sorry. It, it, you, you lost me there, Josh. What what happened uh, here? Okay, so, you know, I, I was talking about swearing and I said it would be crummy. But what's the connection between crummy? Crummy, and bread? crumbs, bread, baking up Think Loaves. You got to be a little more obvious with those, Josh. I cannot pick up on them when they are that subtle. I'm sorry. Regardless, it is time for baking up Think Loaves. So let's go ahead and get into the bakery. Sanjay, one of the things that you are known for in the Netrunner community is your alt arts. I myself have a few. I imagine many people listening to this episode do as well. One question that I have for you, what has been your favorite Netrunner card to illustrate? I've liked a lot of them. I think my District 99 art is my favorite, both because I made it as the second place Colorado Regionals prize, which was just a fun thing to do. I had gotten second place at Colorado Regionals the year before, and I wanted to elevate that position. So I offered a commission to whoever won second place at Colorado Regionals. Borders on collusion or bribery. District 99 art solidified one of my favorite headcanons of Netrunner, which is that there's three runners who adore trash. They're just trash people. There's one per main runner faction, Max, of course, Exile, and Geist. And I just really enjoyed drawing them hugging each other in a trash can. That's pretty not debatable, in my opinion. Everything about those runners is just trash. The trash friends. We can support all of them except for Exile because he's Shaper and well, Geist because he's Shaper. It's true. It's a shame that Exile was printed in Shaper because honestly, think of Exile as an Anarch where you have the Bin Breakers. Wow, yeah, that'd be dope. I missed extremely hard with my understanding of the power level of MK Ultra. 
Mm -hmm. I just assumed like, oh, well, I mean, that seems like a kind of worthless ability, but I'm sure Exile will enjoy having this. And turns out it was a way better breaker than I thought. MK is at this weird spot. If there was a bunch of good low-cost sentries with low strength and one sub, wouldn't be that good of a breaker, right? But all of the sentries are, like, huge and have two to four sub. It's actually kind of efficient for what it is. Bin breakers, they're just all really good and probably are a mistake. MKs, in some ways, it's the most interesting also because it is the worst one, maybe. Black Orchestra might be the worst one, but it's certainly one of the worst ones. But it is also the cheap one. So if you're trying to do just shenanigans, where all you're trying to do is install it and then sell it and then install it again for some discounted rate, it's the one you want. Paperclip, what a fucking joker card. Get that out of here. It costs four. I'm in awe every time I see an Anarch in play and they don't have their console down and they're just like, that's okay, I'll just put the MK in the trash. It's fine. One other thing I wanted to say about the District 99 art, I'm not a trained artist and I do a lot of try something and see if it looks good. And I don't also, in addition to not being a trained artist, I don't have a very good critical eye. So that's a bad combination. And I think the District 99 art turned out so much better because the people in Artist Colony which is this delightful group of artists on the Netrunner Slack, helping me iterate on my art for that card really paid dividends. I think the first draft of it was so much less good than what it ended up. Shout out to Artist Colony. Yeah, and shout out to me for making a great alt art. One of my favorites of yours is, uh, I believe it is Clone Retirement. It's got a bunch of the tanks in the background. Oh, is that? I think that's Harmony Medtech. I think that was the first one I did. Yeah, it was the first one I did, because the first time I ever did, did these alt arts, it was a prize support for first place and last place. Laura and my friend Thomas both got a prize. I'm not going to tell you who got what prize, but Laura doesn't care about art, just cares about crushing people at Netrunner. And Thomas instantly like, I want a Harmony Medtech art. And the thing with Harmony Medtech is that there's a thing in the world of Android book that says like that most diseases have been cured. That's fun. So... What is Harmony MedTech doing now? And some replacement organs from a perfectly unobjectionable source. Jinteki would never do anything ethically questionable. No, not at all. Actually, Jinteki is one of my answers for this personal evolution with the treehouse. Yeah! Yeah. I think it's a fun challenge to try and guess who all the people are. Did you ever do biotech? Oh, yes. Biotech was such a delight because... I'm a cartoonist, like I like making comics, and biotech is the opportunity, the one opportunity you have in illustration to, in Netrunner illustration, to draw a comic, because you have the setup, and then you have the other side of the card. It has three potential punchlines, right? Basically, the way the art is, is that it's Chairman Hero watering a little sapling, and then on the other side, it grows into either a money tree, knife tree, or just this weird, confusing tree that Chairman Hero is like, why would I want this? I assume that's uh, the one that shuffles. The yeah, impact. yeah, the one that shuffles. I got a bit of a call out here, and this might be kind of spicy, but why are you not on the always be running artist page here with all of your alt arts? Because I am a big procrastinator, and to do that, I would need to upload them, and I have not. That's a very fair call out, especially because I've went to the trouble of signing up as an artist if you go to my profile page it says this user is an artist but then there's no art i'm sorry to bring the capsaicin there 
No, it's uh, a justified call out. We do have a bonus loaf in this bakery today. We have done one think loaf, but we in fact have another think loaf to discuss. What Netrunner card have you most wanted to illustrate that you haven't yet? So that's a really tough one because I've never chosen to illustrate a card. I've only illustrated cards as prize support. You're just, you know, the thought experiment about the person who grows up in the room with no color and you're just going to that person and you're showing them a rainbow. I don't even know. Probably an ice because those are adorable. There's already a really good Escher. So probably not that. Not that that's a nice. It's too hard. I don't think I'm up for it. You're allowed to give us an answer later. Uh, or oh. This is just one that I've really wanted to do. So this is actually a bad concept because it's a card that has a bunch of wonderful arts for it already. Mm -hmm. But I have this idea for a Logic Bomb alt art. There's a lot of different versions of it. And each version of it is Eli 2, the teen version, and Adam talking and just spitting out these philosophy 101 mind blowers. Like what you see as blue is like what I see as red. And Eli just like, I can't handle it. Each art is just like a different one of those basic, and I mean basic, of course, in the pejorative sense, mind blow. The way I, I picture it is that I print like a run of them, kind of like what you did with the amazing inside job alt arts you did. Team effort, of course, but... Literally a team effort in the sense of Drill did the actual artistic work. I took it to a printer and printed it. And then I gave the printed sticker to people and they affixed them to the cards themselves. Yeah, I agree. I also collaborated on this art. Um, yeah. We did a great job. Yeah, so I would make a lot of different ones of those, like 50 ones and just pass them out. I uh, love that idea. You could have three unique logic bombs in your deck. Yeah, it strains believability when you play logic bomb that like this Anansi, I mean, that's a bad example. Sorry. Yeah, this archer keeps on getting its mind blown by the same doofus weird not thing. Archer, get get. Oh, your... the sentence is false. Yeah. Get, hey, get, Archer, get... what's the sound of one hand clapping? I know people aren't actually playing the card patch, but surely, like Polana or whatever is patching their ice. They're not going to keep on falling for the same doofus thing. There's a lot of wonderful logic bomb art. You should play three different ones. That's what, the official chef that stance. An official what stance? Oops. <laughs> um, what is this? Uh, sorry, that's the official uh, time travel. <laughs> 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 understand. Um, <laughs> That's going to be a long one to bleep out. All right, Captain. We've heard about your... Hold on. Captain, thank you for making that more obvious this time, Josh. That was a sick pun. What? I don't understand what... Like, okay, fine, fine. Just like, you, you can't jump down my throat for picking up on what you are clearly, extremely obviously putting out there with such blatant obviousness that anyone would pick. So, Captain? Cap? Capsaicin? spicy you're leading us into the next segment josh you know i told you this last time i get what you're getting at now but i still don't approve i don't care if you approve i guess it's time for Ooh, that's spicy. oh man we uh we're sticking with that banjo are we we are oh boy well what we have on tap for who that spicy this week is now, we're going to talk about alternative formats a little bit more in a second, but just one thing that I want to bring up about them right now is that you have illustrated cards for the winners of cash refresh tournaments in the past and other tournaments. Some of those are basically the winner of this tournament gets to say a card that they want illustrated, and then you illustrate that card. With that in mind, are there any cards that you would flat out refuse to illustrate? 
I think sometimes people, maybe they don't have a strong idea or don't have an idea that I can do artistically. So those wouldn't be flat out refusals. You mean like a card I hate? No, because I did illustrate a card I hated. Spiciest reason that you can think of not to do Mm. a card. Remember, this is who did spicy? Oh, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, You know what? I would not do smoke. There's too many smoke alt arts there. They're all very good. Too many smoke alt arts in terms of raw quantity that exists in the world. Yeah, there's too many smoke alt arts. Nobody needs any more. People have enough smoke alt arts that they can use them as credits on Netmerker. The time it would take me to make even a bad smoke alt art and the money to print it on my own printer, if I handed that to somebody, they would mainly just be excited if they were in the middle of a book and they needed a bookmark. I would refuse to do smoke. Nobody needs it. And I have better things to do with my time. I support this 100%. About smoke altarts, another player of the game, Netrunner, Terrifici, he actually uses smoke altarts, like the official FFG printed smoke altarts, as a replacement for shuffling (laughs) cards in your hand while he plays games online uses them often enough that I think he's run through like completely destroyed five of them. And he's like, but it's fine because I have like 35 left. The smoke altars came at a time FFG was just starting to pay attention to what people were asking for. And then they heard the message, Hey, we like smoke, but they didn't check to see how many people were saying that or check to see how much smoke people would like. Yeah. I loved what they were going for with that here's a smoke gnk and it has smoke playmat smoke id smoke everything the problem with it was unlike a lot of alt arts where it was like ffg do you know what cards people are playing this one was like oh no we asked for this this is our fault that made it so much worse than you know edward kim on a brute force hack the smoke alt art is like ffg punishing us for wanting something god there was so much smoke I have honestly blocked the playmat out just because I've seen so much of it in my life. I know this is going to track ridiculously well on a audio medium, but I don't know if you were <laughs> looking at what I was flashing there. Uh, this is two unsleeved deck amounts of smokes. And this right here is what Austin Mill gave me as prize support from Nisei because I was about to run the Midwest Championship, you know, before Rona and all that. And this right here is only a fraction of Austin's stock of smokes. Like, <laughs> That's like 90 smokes. That's like every person gets a playset of smokes. Exactly. Could literally use these as credits. He was not joking. I think that these are maybe a 20th of the smokes or even less than that of the stock that Austin got because it was like three feet tall. Oh, my God. It was ridiculous, man. I don't understand why they printed so many fucking smokes. Can't trust the Internet when they say they like something, I guess. So I think that's a good call. I don't even know if that's (laughs) particularly spicy to say that you wouldn't illustrate smoke. I still think it's somewhat spicy because smoke is still a beloved and popular idea. And just to say, like, nope, not doing that. Would it be helpful in terms of spiciness if I took back the comment I made about FFG trying their best and just said they messed up big time? And what were they thinking? Those doofuses. Anytime that we can work the word doofus into the podcast, I definitely support it. 
it's a real Diogenes move. You know, walk into FFG headquarters holding up a stack of 90 smoke altars and behold a prize support. I don't think you're allowed to bring a stack of 90. Uh, I don't think weapons are allowed on the premises. <laughs> I suppose there's enough smokes in the world that you could bludgeon <laughs> somebody to death with them. One thing that I think might help with the spice level here. I think for either of the hosts of the slums cast, the answer to this question would be very easy. And it is any shaper card. Uh, let's go any shaper ID. Cause there are some shaper cards that I like. In defense of the shaper faction, I think there's some shapers that just have a game plan that has nothing to do with anything shaper supports. I have to imagine that Akiko and Jessminder are as frustrated with the shaper faction as you are. I don't know if you know that there's alternate formats, but Colorado has this alternate format called Identity Crisis. You build a deck in one ID and then switch it to another. I had a Jessminder deck that was in Criminal. It was friggin' amazing. Criminal Jessminder is out of control. So it was a deck that you built in a Criminal Runner and then... It was a Ken Tenma deck, but Ooh. with Jessminder as the ID. It was amazing. That seems uh, not. Got second place at it. Yeah, imagine being able to just, like, siphon and only get one tag at the end of it. It's like having half of an Aaron Marone in play. I'm like, that card is busted enough that half of an Aaron Marone probably still would have been banned. So, Pants, if you don't mind, and we can cut this little discussion blurb out. There are no, we can't. We can't edit audio. In the spirit of spicy takes and spicy choices, I think it's time to talk about one of the spiciest aspects of Netrunner in general. I don't think we really have a name for this segment, but it's about alternative formats. I've got a name for this segment. Okay. Let's call it... What? What do you mean, what? We name segments after cards all the time, Josh. How is Akamatsu Memchip not a good name for a segment? Moving on. You know, Josh, actually, I have some interesting news to go with this. Okay, hit me. It turns out we actually have a second segment named after a card this week. Oh, God, what the fuck is this? This is a segment called... Don't worry, it is more legal than it sounds. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Well, I guess I'm glad you're disappointed. I... Not sure how to process that. Anyway, the segment Voter Intimidation is inspired by the fact that I recently listened to a podcast. Uh, Josh, did you know that? Was it our podcast? It was not our podcast. It was a different podcast made by different people who actually know what they're doing when they make podcasts. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know if we can allow that here. Cut the feed. Hold on, hold on. Before you cut the feed, it wasn't a Netrunner podcast. It was just a different podcast entirely. Oh, oh okay. Okay, yeah. that's, that's acceptable. Okay, all right, yeah. And it turns out they recommend very highly in those podcasts that their audience goes and rates their podcast on, like, I don't know, Apple Podcasts or fucking whatever. There are platforms that let you rate podcasts, give them, like, star ratings and whatever. So what you're saying is we want the listeners to make sure that we're truly bottom tier. Actually. It's funny you say that because I was going to say everyone should go and give us a two-star review, but I talked to an engineer at Apple Podcasts the other day, believe it or not. Steve Jobs? Did he finally return your emails? Uh, 
it would be weird for a few reasons if Steve Jobs returned my emails, but... Um, I'll take your word for it. Okay, we're going to move past that. Anyway, this engineer said, it turns out the definition of the star system on Apple Podcasts, and in fact, most other podcast networks, is different from what you would usually think. Really? Yeah. Normally, you would think that five stars corresponds to the best and one star corresponds to the worst, right? Yeah. It seems intuitive, but in fact, five stars corresponds to the okayest. And if you are better than okay, it wraps back around towards one. It's crazy counterintuitive. And for some reason, none of the podcast distribution networks tell you that when you're rating. This checks out. So you're telling the listeners to go ahead and give us five stars, the okayest rating? Absolutely. Exactly. Honestly, it's just every other five-star podcast that is actually a good podcast sits on a throne of lies. And I just want them to acknowledge that. That tracks. Yeah. So anyway, that's been Voter Intimidation, our newest segment, and arguably our most legal. So moving on with Akamatsu Memchip, our newest segment and best named. Let's talk about alternative Netrunner format. See, this is why we're calling it Akamatsu Memchip, Josh. We're talking about our memories of other formats. I still don't approve. Well, you don't have to approve. We tell our listeners where they can go if they have concerns, and the same goes for either of us. The Slumscast is a noted pro-alternative formats podcast. We've talked about this in the past. We're willing to make that same statement today. We're still pro-alternative formats, but Sanjay, you're our guest today. We want your takes. We have a sense of how you feel about the identity crisis format, but just in general, how do you feel about alternative Netrunner formats? Well, firstly, let me say that as a huge fan of this podcast, I am honored to be on a new segment. This is just amazing. But I love alternative formats for a lot of reasons. I mean, firstly, they're places in which I haven't been soundly proven not to be the best Netrunner player. I have been doing Ocarina, which is the only kind of runner in New Angeles format where you can play as a unique connection resource or less thematically on the corpse side, you play as a agenda. Basically, the gimmick of it, Cotty Jones's flavor text is you aren't the only type of runner in New Angeles, uh, which I misremembered, thankfully, as you aren't the only kind of runner in New Angeles. And you play as a unique connection resource like Cotty. All of a sudden, you are the only kind of runner in New Angeles. Everybody's that kind of runner that runs and hacks people. Format is Ocarina, and that really rolls off the tongue and ties into nostalgia from one of the best Legend of Zelda games. I mean, it's no Majora's Mask, but... Agreed with both halves of that. Is it the official slum stance that Majora's Mask is better than Ocarina of Time? I don't know if that's your stance, but it's a stance that I have. Okay, we can make that at the official stance. We are about to get so much hate mail. One of my favorite things about that format, Ocarina, is the fact that despite being the inspiration for it, Cotty Jones is not a legal target. Yes, that's unfortunate. Because thematically, it would be lovely. If you're playing as a psych Mike, for instance, Akiko Nisei's psychologist or friend or psychic, probably all three. When you're playing psych Mike, you're a shaper because psych Mike is a shaper card. When you're playing Hernando Cortez, you're a psychopath. Why would you play Hernando Cortez? I'm going to say he seems like the best choice. Class Act is busted and I haven't been able to fix it. But oh God, you're right. Class yeah, act. it's just so oh, efficient. You just Currently, get to be Andy again. Oh fuck, yeah. it's just Andy. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're Andy? You're, 
You're Andy, and you're also Mr. Lee. Oh, yeah. Wow. Gross. Holy Yeah, it's pretty good. When I was making the format, I had to figure out what to do with the neutral runners. And the two choices were basically assign them a faction or let them just be this neutral faction where I give them some mini faction like amount of influence. Can a neutral runner just play rebirth influence free because it's a neutral influence card? Can they just play all the lucky finds they want? I was already in the deep end in terms of this format that I wasn't playtesting. I was just trying to talk to other people and wing it with the balance thing. So I decided that we just leave the neutral runners out. Though we are incorporating them in a very cool way because if you do very well in the tournament, you get to add an ID to the next time we do the format. The cards you pick from are rotated cards and neutral cards, or rotated neutral cards. The next format's going to be Ocarina 4, so we've done three iterations of this. We've sort of loosened it a little bit, where we let a non-unique connection, the patron, in. I think Corporate Defector also. Patron seems really, really good. It is really good, it's yeah. Talking Thunder, except you don't even have to take the tag. Yeah, you don't get the access, which is less good, and you do have to declare the server which is slightly less good than Liza, but yeah. It's right, but I guess on balance, it doesn't have to be a central server, right? It's not 50 cards though, right? No, it's 45. Though it is, like <laughs> Jess Mender, severely hampered by being in a faction that has no interest in running. Let Shaper <laughs> run. If you want me to play Shaper, let Shaper run. That's why I was excited about Patron. Someone's like, I don't know, Patron. Actually, two were like, I want Patron, and one of them got to pick something else too. You want to know a sick combo of cards I just thought up with that Patron runner? What? So since you start with Patron installed, which was kind of why this combo of cards would suck in Constructed, you only have to install one half in this deck. If you did Patron as your runner ID, Daredevil as your console? Yeah, you're going to draw so many cards. It's a quality time every time you run a server with two ice. Both mechanically a quality time and just this is a quality time. In Ocarina 3, on the corp side, we introduced Labyrinthine servers, which Patron just happens to be, not totally, but a little bit of a silver bullet against, because Patron says, I'm not going to access one server a turn. And there's a very good Labyrinthine servers archetype where you load up 17 counters on your Cerebral Overrider, and then you play Sandstone, and you redirect them to the Cerebral Overrider server, and then you say, you cannot jack out, and then they die. There is one other shout out that I wanted to give to an alternative format. This is another Sanjay original. The format that I like to call Sanjay's Big Deck. Oh, yeah. And that is where you take all of the cards from a particular faction and all of the influence free neutrals plus all of your influence cards. The two extra special deck building restrictions where you can only play one influence card because otherwise your deck would be smaller. And also the professor was legal. That format was interesting because playing it, I think it wasn't to a lot of people's tastes because the decks just don't work. The ratios are all off. It, clicking for credits is by far your best econ mm -hmm. option. We made, what's her face? Cabanessa Wu legal, which was a weird choice. Max is pretty good, but like Cabanessa Wu is silly yeah. better than anybody else. Because in my head, I was like, okay, I'll ban her for the next one. But there shouldn't be a next one because the format is a good spectacle, but not the best netrunner you can play. Drawing. You could get anything. It's probably not what you want. But what people realize is that theoretically, if it was a little better, it would be fun to do that. And so people started playing some Highlander where the deck is limited one per deck. That made the card quality rapidly jump because they weren't required to play 400 plus card deck and they weren't required to play Crypt. Crypt is such a bad card. <laughs> 
I know. It's not even <laughs> fun, like Glutzleifer, you know? You're working really, really hard to get an SMC, I guess? Is that what it does? There are two things that I definitively remember about Crypt. One is that it's very bad. The other is that it has art with stairs on it. Nice. I, think, I might be wrong about the second one. I think you can run archives to put a virus on it. Yep. And if you have three viruses, you can trash it, search your deck to install a virus, paying all costs. And <laughs> you also have to pay a click for it. Yeah, it's a click trash yeah. ability. This car... speed. Five clicks getting this bad SMC. You could have just drawn five times and had it in hand. Yeah, this card is bullshit. It should not take the click. Imagine, and it should be like two counters. Imagine having two counters on your crypt and you run archives and see a Cyberdex virus suite. <laughs> oh, fuck. You install it, you run twice, you're like, next turn I make the last run. And then I pop my crypt for the thing that I need. Res Jeeves score Cyberdex Sand. <laughs> Think about this. If it was still three, right? But you didn't have to spend the click. But it was like central, right? It, it didn't say yeah, archives. Yeah. It said centrals. This would be a card you'd see in Arctex. This card is so bad, but it's also only a couple of changes from being like a staple Anarch card. But I don't know if I agree. I have splashed Da Vinci in Val, and it is bad. It is enough work to activate, and viruses are cheap enough that they shouldn't make you pay the three credits to get your medium. Just give me a free medium. I earned it. Crypt talk. <laughs> Before we end this, because I think we need to move on because we're getting off topic here. I will say that one of the other alternatives that I saw to big deck that I think would work as well was keeping the influence totals the same, but simply doubling the minimum deck size, maybe even going as so far as to triple. You know, 90 cards, you might still be able to make your faction do what you think you want it to do. I do worry right now, one of the things with my 99 card max deck is that I'm sort of a tryhard with regard to like, ooh, look at my deck, it's super unique, I'm so special. I enjoy playing other decks that other people build, but if I'm bringing a deck to a tournament, I want it to be my creation. Obviously, I'm not the only person playing Big Max, but a very nice thing about Big Max is that it's wacky enough that I'm just able to play good reg Anarch and enjoy that because Reg Anarch's really fun. You just get to play Netrunner. And I don't think I'm fooling anyone else. I've tricked myself into thinking like, this is still a little janky deck, but Anarch's card pool is so deep that 99 cards, they're all good cards or joke cards that I sincerely like. They're good cards, Bob. Obviously we could choose to discuss deck building at a little more length in some of these alternative formats, but we actually did want to talk to you about that max in particular, and kind of deck building in standard. I think it's time for us to break into Deck and Bamboozled. You brought this deck up already. We talked a little bit about it, but I want to talk about it in some more depth. You recently played a somewhat unique max deck. As you've said, it is 99 cards. We want to talk to you about that deck. Before we talk about the results, I actually just want to look at the deck itself. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Pull it up, too, because if I don't know if you know this, but I have not memorized my deck list. It's a lot of cards to memorize. As we typically do in Deck and Bamboozled, I'd like to just run through the deck list itself. That might take a little bit longer in this case than it usually does. <laughs> We're just going to speed run this. We're going to power through. So start with the events. We got three Day Job, three Deuces Wild, three Dirty Laundry, three I've Had Worse, three Labor Rights, one X Legwork. 
three moshing, three queen's gambit, three retrieval run, three stem hack, three sure gamble, three wanton destruction. Correct amount of stem hacks. Love it already. Hardware, three boomerang, three hippo, three keiko, one maw, three zero. Resources, one begot, three daily casts, three district 99, three earthrise hotel, one ice carver, one Cotty Jones, three liberated account, two mystic Mamie, three paladin puemu, three street peddler, one archivist, three turning wheel. Then going over to programs, we have one Amakua, three Black Orchestra, three Faust, three MK, three Paperclip, three Data Sucker, three Imp, three Parasite, three Stargate. Very efficient. I say this fairly often when I look at Anarch decks, but I genuinely mean it here. It looks like your cat saw your stack of orange cards, knocked a bunch of them into your deck box, and that's your deck now. So this deck is, unlike most of my decks, a list pretty similar to this is what I took to Worlds. I didn't have any time to prepare for Worlds. So I built this deck, I think, a few days before deck lists were due. My first seven games with this deck were at Worlds. Exactly how I did with my core. <laughs> so I was building it with my friend Laura, who's extremely good at Netrunner. I think she had a lot of insights into like what I needed to make the deck work better. One of the cards I don't think is a standard Anarch card, but works absolutely great in this deck is Moshing. With Max, you can pretty easily have the three cards you need. And we have the Deuces Wild. I mean, obviously that's a pretty standard card, but I don't know if I'd necessarily think to include it. Anarch is a little short on card draw, but there's a lot of card draw in this deck. And that means I don't have to play additional breakers. Anarch has an entire other breaker suite that's pretty decent that they never even bother. Mimic's a great card. Anarchs are just too good for it. You do have an alternative breaker suite here. It's called Parasite. Oh, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Um, I mean, I have Faust. Basically, Laura, I think, I don't know if she personally, in her heart, takes enough credit for how good this deck is, but it's a lot her influence. I think the deck would have performed just as well if we did my favorite console um, suite, which would be one Keiko, one Turntable, one Patchwork, one Maw. But I think having the two Mew is probably good. Truthfully, if I was tuning this list, I would probably put in more Maw. Maw is really good for Big Macs because you just want to have a certain number of win conditions and Maw, maybe it costs a lot, but it can be your plan. Other things with the deck, I probably would cut the Cotty Jones, not because it's bad, but because I just want Simon Moon to approve of me. Probably go down to one Mystic Mamie because two is too many. One is too many, but, you know, it's a cute card. Actually, if this list just had two Taka instead of two Mystic Mamie, it would probably be way better. Yeah, there's cuts to make, but the cuts are still pretty hard. Anarch's ridiculous. This 99-card list, Andre from the Metro Grid has like a 112-card Mac deck. And you look at that and you're like, these are all good. Shaper can't put together a list of 45 cards with no bad cards in it. I signed up for this itinerant protesters tournament, which I did. Incredible! I've been doing great with this deck. I went five and two at Worlds with no practice, and then I went four and zero oh in the Swiss and one and one in the cut. Everything went great with this deck. This is probably objectively too good of a performance for us to have it on. I deck think I know, I know. Um, my two biggest concerns with I, I I really love this podcast, and my two biggest concerns were I'm conflict averse, so I'm not spicy enough, and <laughs> this deck is so just so I'm just so good at netrunners. People are playing Hoshiko. You can get basically three cards a turn for nothing. All you have to do is play 96 of the best cards ever printed and three moshing. I just haven't figured out how to make Max work in the current format. Max needs a certain amount of stuff. The problem with Max is that you run out too quickly in a lot of cases. And the solution always used to be, well, you have effects to get your deck back. I don't actually have 45 cards that I'm milling every turn. 
I have 45 cards, two of which are levy, and then I have same old things to get the levy back, or three labor rights, and I've got three ways to play labor rights if labor rights gets trashed, because Max hates me this game. And I like the approach here where it's like, none of that safety nonsense, we just have 99 of them. One thing that is really, I would say, ethically wrong about this deck is that I'm playing three Boomerang and three Labor Rights. Labor Rights is a fantastic card for this archetype. Boomerang is a fantastic card for this archetype. But those six cards being in the deck is just a statement about the Netrunner landscape we're living in, where almost all of the matches are on JNet. If you're building a 99 card max deck or bigger, you just have to cut all the shuffle effects out of your deck. You can't shuffle your deck. (laughs) Labor Rights is such a goddamn good card. Labor Rights is actually particularly less good in this deck than other decks. When you Labor Rights in a regular size deck, you're going to see those cards relatively soon, and you're going to see the bottom of your deck maybe sooner. So Labor Rights is silly when you are at the bottom of your deck. This deck, you're really just look for three Conspiracy Breakers and then ever so slightly improve the quality of your deck, which is a lot less good, but it replaces itself for a click. I think if you're playing this deck in paper for some reason, like you signed up for a tournament that was online and then you got paired against somebody that you were in a quarantine bumble with, hypothetically, <laughs> you can cut the labor right. They're really cool. They're really fun, but cut them. You can cut the boomerangs too. There's just something else in that breaks ice. It's okay. The thing that I like though about the labor rights is that first half where you trash three cards and you're looking for conspiracy breakers, you have three of them, but you have a little bit of the Val problem of you can just not find them even though Max is drawing you a bunch of cards and effectively drawing for the bin breakers. That trash three cards to desperately look for a black orchestra is more valuable here than it would be for a 45 card Anarch. I agree with that. I have a bone to pick with the thought that the shuffle effects or playing this deck in person are something that you can't do because I will point out that Matt wonder what game that is. That's one of the other Deckmaster games, right? If you're not familiar, uh, Elder Dragon Highlander, I refuse to call it Commander because that's a dumb name. EDH has 100 card decks, and that game has way more search effects than our game. True. And people still play that shit. There are tournaments for it. Must we forget also that particular game had a particular archetype. It was never like the best archetype, but there is a particular archetype where the entire goal is to put a card in play that says... If you have 200 or more cards in your deck at the start of your turn, you win the game. <laughs> oh god, that one a fucking open too. I think you're right that the deck is shuffleable. Unlike the magic community, I think the general assumption in Netrunner is that you value your opponent as a person, and as such, you have to value their time. You know, the whole like respect your opponent is actually inversely proportional to how much I know that person. When it comes to playing pants, I'm like, I'm going to shuffle this deck for longer. You you. don't even say (laughs) when it's BG. You just like, you you just fucking leave. You don't even concede. Yeah. Maximum disrespect. One of the things that's tough in talking about 99 card max or big max in general is that I don't want to be overly credited with the archetype than I deserve. Because I think a lot of people have been working on big max for a while. You saying that though did remind me, I think the first time I, I think I encountered big max was during a soccer tournament. Soccer being Stimpack Online, Cash Refresh. You're limited to one big box. So if you play max, you cannot have levy. Yeah, or same old thing. So soccer was the original place uh, where people were like, what does Max look like without Levy? And I think there was a 62-card Max deck. They had to go fast because they you know, would run out at some point. 
I think it was the same tournament. I was on 47 card max. Nice. For me, the answer to how do you make max work in cash refresh where you don't have same old thing, you don't have a levy. The answer was you play two deja vus, which is the max you can play because you only get one <laughs> copy of the core set. Yeah. Play blue moose because at this point in time, that was legal. Ooh. And you hope. I mean, what do you need cards for if you have blue moose? Honestly, though, that was one of the things that I learned in that tournament was just like how absolutely busted some things were. It doesn't matter if you have cards in your stack, if you can just parasite their ice and then you play deja vu to get the parasite back. You know, I got to say that there's room in Deck and Bamboozled for things to be a little bit different. We've had decks that bamboozled us, and then we had Jonas on just recently, a deck that bamboozled other people. I think the bamboozle here is the fact that the deck even works at all, honestly. (laughs) You would not expect that a 99-card deck in a constructed format in Netrunner would be able to put up any sort of results. It's messed up that the skill level of Netrunner players has gotten so high that you don't get to play bad people. No matter how much you lose, you just keep on losing and your opponents still are good at Netrunner. Disappointing. Real and also fucked up. I agree. And folks at home, if you are listening to the Slums cast today, because you have a friend who's trying to get you into Netrunner and you're trying to think, is Netrunner for me? So you're listening to this episode of the Slums cast to figure it out. I think you should really consider that it's possible your friend wants to introduce you to the greatest card game ever made, but it's also possible your friend just wants to get a bunch of inexperienced rubes so that when your friend goes zero and six in the first three rounds of the tournament, they can face you. So finally, they get a break. Oh my god, I almost spit out my beer. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is, if you listen to the advice on the Slumscast, you won't have a secret weapon, so they will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you're going to go eight, zero and eight. <laughs> Yeah, noobs, that's your uh, that's your first advice is probably don't listen to us. But I agree, right? It seems a little bit ridiculous that 99 card decks can do things. But honestly, I think it speaks to two things that are just generally true. One is that maybe 99 cards in Anarch is not as bad as we thought. The worst cards in here are probably, we've got the District 99, which is fairly needed recursion for this deck. It's probably pound for pound the worst card in the deck. There's Queen's Gambit. Honestly, I think every time that I saw you play Queen's Gambit, it was just lucky fight. Like there was no downside whatsoever to it. Against any sort of asset decks, that's always the case. Why, yes, I I will in fact take nine credits. My sickest player. I I, saw it have a huge upside. Yeah. Queen's Gambited a Prysec, so you couldn't access the Prysec. My range of Queen's Gambit so far is that is the, the high end where I Queen's Gambit at a Prysec. The low end is I let somebody score their government takeover a turn early. Shoutouts. And I think the thing with Wanton Destruction, it's like Maw where, you know, you just need some win conditions. And there's a lot of decks. Like if you're a, a kill deck, if you're Asa Group where, you know, you're trying to Lakshmi things. Every corp in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, as long as they like their cards, they are very sad to get Wanton Destruction. The only thing that is bad about Wanton Destruction is the fact that you have to basically take an entire turn off to do it. But there is a reason that Zero Clan Vengeance got banned. That effect, take the corpse cards and throw them in the trash, is busted. And we talked about the matching earlier, where it's honestly, here it's probably like the the eighth best econ option in the deck. (laughs) Eighth best econ option in Shaper is clicking for credits. 
Actually, yeah, you're right. Clicking yeah. for credits is probably sixth. Anarch has the 46th through 99th card problem, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a spicy take here. I think actually with this deck in particular, Moshing is one of the best cards in the deck. Top half, easy. I can buy that. The <laughs> other thing that I think that this deck and kind of the results you've had with it highlight, the undeniable fact that Max as an idea ability is fucking busted. It's so good and it's so fun. You draw three yeah. cards a turn. I know. I already mentioned how I totally missed on MK Ultra. A card I also missed on in terms of its power level is Lat. Lat, mm -hmm. I really enjoy. I like playing Lat. He's fun to play. But it doesn't seem like a lot of work to fire Lat. And so he's drawing a card a turn. Max draws a card a turn. There's obviously one weakness of Lat, which isn't his fault. He runs because he wants to express something so he doesn't get access to some of these great cards that everybody else gets. It's also the case that Max doesn't just draw a card a turn. She's drawing three, and that's a lot better than one. I would really like to build a 99-card Shaper deck. And besides the fact that their card pool isn't deep enough, the lat ability just isn't the same. I mean, I guess I could play like a 60-card lat. If you let Max's ID ability run, you drew the orange cards. That's the thing about Shaper is they have a couple of cornerstone cards that are like some of the most powerful effects in the game. Like SMC, right? Proco or Aesops. It's either you don't need multiple copies of their cards, or you want multiple copies of the cards, but they're early game cards, and they're all super powerful effects, but you don't need to keep drawing cards with Shaper because once you have one copy of one of those cards, or you have a card that can search other cards, the rest of your cards are just garbage. And they're garbage because if you had all of your powerful effects on top of good cards, your faction would be busted. And in fact, was busted when that was the case. When it was just the entire way that you played Shaper was you splash one Faust, and then you just draw like eight cards a turn and use Faust, and then you Aesop's a thing. And you have a film critic, and now at this point, you can never lose. It makes me think about how everybody gets on Geist for being a Shaper. Nobody yells at Nat for being a Shaper. Because Nat is also about the Shaper life. Because Nat is all about, oh, it's turn five? Well, I'm just going to keep wasting your time. Oh, it's turn 27. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to make my first run of the game. Nat, a Shaper. I would say that I don't give Nat much hate for being a Shaper, but it's largely just because I forgot that Nat existed until you mentioned it. I recognize that I have stronger positive feelings about Shaper than you do. But I would say, if I have a gripe with Shaper, it's that. That the best Shaper decks currently are ones that don't encourage you to make the stupid runs that I enjoy making because I got bored of drawing cards and installing them. Honestly, a lot of those runs aren't stupid. A lot of times, the actual correct thing is to pressure HQ. If nothing else, to send the message that HQ is never safe. Always yeah. be sending a message. Yeah. And I have no idea how to play Shaper, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Aren't you just supposed to like hit Proco, 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 Proco? I think I read somewhere that if you install Proco, all of a sudden the correct thing to do is to always click Proco. One thing that I want to make sure that we mention while we're talking about this deck, who did you beat with this deck? Because there are some interesting names in here. Let's see. So I beat Laura. Which is something that I'm not sure I've ever done with a runner deck. I didn't beat Pincel. I think no. I beat Cable Carnage, and Cable Carnage is really good. Oh, Havi. Havi's really good, too. You beat uh, some heavy hitters in this tournament with this deck. 
I'm not even sure what side of kayfabe I'm on because I've been delighted to play a heel in this itinerant protesters tournament. This is like two weeks after people were talking in Slack about how I'm like one of the biggest baby faces. I mean, I'm no Beckett, but pretty good. I mean, Netrunner has a problem whether we have too many faces, which is probably a good problem to have because I think a lot of people don't know the difference between a heel and a bad guy. In wrestling, you have these matchups which are face versus face. They don't book them very often. There's less storytelling opportunities for them. But you have a face versus face matchup. They wrestle, they put on a good match, and then at the end they shake hands. Truth be told, most Netrunner games are face versus face. Everybody's lovely or whatever. The crowd just wants to see a good match. The more important thing is that we have a new chicken shit heel in the world. It's me. Yeah, we need to talk about that video. I realized watching that video that somehow you were simultaneously the underdog, the face, and the heel at the same time. So I will say, from a wrestling terminology standpoint, this is why we have more than one kind of heel. There's two stories that heels can tell. You have a monster heel who the crowd wants to see lose, but they're like, nobody can beat that guy. And we have me, who's a chicken shit heel, the archetype. And the chicken shit heel, I think there's a lot of ways I sincerely am one, because I absolutely say I want to win a tournament. You know, I, I feel a sense of honor and like ethics with stuff. So I don't want to cheat to win a tournament, but I want to win a tournament in as unglamorous way as possible. I get paired up against somebody and then my opponent has to go see a horse and they just leave and I just get a sweep and then I accidentally get a buy and like I just sail through the tournament picking up wins totally illegitimately I'm just you know run R&D three times steal seven points I didn't earn anything I'm cool with that I don't have any interest in proving that I'm the best netrunner player because I know I'm not if I want to win a tournament something wrong has to happen and that's the ethos of being a chicken shit heel to be honest I was really excited for my runner to go undefeated. And so I was hoping that Pencil would run first so then my runner couldn't be touched. That's a way in which I'm sincerely a chicken shit heel. But also less sincerely, I think I'm up against Pencil and I've branded myself the heel. I'm not a monster heel in that situation. Uh, for people who don't know about itinerant protesters, they are about helping each other and self-improvement <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. In the channel, Pincel is one of the most wonderful and generous people with advice and support. I had this interaction with Pincel when we were paired at the beginning of the cut. His Geist list was up against my absolute trash-making news deck. I was really curious about the matchup because like, I didn't know how good it was, what the right lines were. And so I sent him a message saying, oh, I'd really like to talk to you about this after our game. And he's like, this is just a casual tournament. We can talk about it before our game. And so he just like told me, like, here's my read on the matchup before we played it. And he's just extremely generous with his feedback. After the game, he talked to me about like some changes I could make to the deck. It was awesome. Given that I was a heel in the context of the itinerant protesters tournament, Pencil is absolutely a face. I have a different perspective, though. Mm -hmm. What if he was so self-assured and in that heel zone so much that he's like, you know what? I'm going to give you advice because I think even with this advice, there's no way you could beat me. A world champ. We have lost the German audience forever. No, absolutely. I think if Pincel wants advice on turning heel, that would be great. I think he could lean into that. If he is playing heel right now, he's doing a lousy job. The yeah. one thing he's bad at. 
Oh, I do want to tell you one not heelish thing uh, Pencil did, Ooh. but Eddie Guerrero face thing that <laughs> Pencil did. Eddie Guerrero being famous for lying, cheating, and stealing. Chicanery. If you watch the game with me and Pencil in the cut of it, there's a series of turning points for the game. But like the final nail in the coffin for me was this masterful bluff he has in the remote. I get a stim hack with District 99 and I stim hack his Rashida in the remote that he's just three cards left in R&D that Rashida is just bait. And he, under his breath, says, shit. Oh my what a hero. god. <laughs> wait, 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 so you're saying that this guy... What a ruse! I know. Is losing you using like under the breath tones and shit like that? Next level. I know. Wow. He's so good. He's so good at Netrunner. <laughs> so Abram talked about this thing. And regardless of what you think about the guy, sometimes he has some correct takes on, on Netrunner and playing the psychological game of Netrunner. I do want to express my regret that I know Abram likes knowing when people are talking about him on podcasts. And I'm kind of disappointed that we're talking about him in this context, because I was really excited for him to hear that he was mentioned on the podcast and then find out that the only thing we said was that Gregor Mendel's performance would be a drop like. But anyway, go on. I don't know. We were having a dumb argument because all of the arguments of that guy are dumb. This poignant bit of the argument was he's like, well, here's the thing that you can do when you have an unrise of ice and you know that you have a ton of agendas in hand or you have no agendas in hand, right? It's the same sort of thing. You go in the tank for a long while, like a minute, just a whole fucking minute. You're just in the tank. Do you know that resing this is the incorrect decision or the correct decision, whatever the case may be? You're in the tank for a minute and then you res it, but you have no agendas in hand. What he is talking about is sometimes what can happen versus a certain type of opponent. If they're not reading the rest of what you're doing in the game, if you're a certain level of player, your cards determine what you're doing in the game, right? Like almost always. And if you have a ton of agendas in your hand, you should always be jamming them in remotes because if the runner's running HQ, they're just going to score them anyway. So you might as well try to put them in a remote. What he was talking about is you can use that against experienced players. They know you've gone in the tank for a minute. You res the ice, letting them know that it's going to cost them credits to come in. And you want them to have that tax every time that they come in, letting them know, know that you might have something there. What you talked about is a next level example of that. The fact that the dude is saying it under his breath. I know. Right? <laughs> and he's just, it's like, I don't want you to know this, but like, oh God, I wish you wouldn't have made that run. And then like, he actually did want you to make that run. Like, his, oh my God. <laughs> Come on, that's heel behavior. No, Come on, not. man. It's not. Eddie Guerrero, the referee's knocked out. This is a classic move. Hits the ground with the chair. He throws the chair at his opponent. The opponent, to defend themselves, catches the chair. Then Eddie Guerrero falls to the ground as the referee's getting up. The referee heard a chair shot, sees Eddie Guerrero on the ground, his opponent with the chair in his hand, and his opponent is disqualified. Eddie Guerrero did all that and is a face. Oh, come on. No. He is. You're a face if the audience loves you. Mm, I'm going to coin a term here. If you do a little bit of heel-like behavior, but you're liked as a face, I think you could be called a double face. Ooh, that's good. 
there are quite a few things that probably should not be legal. Hitting people with chairs should probably not be legal. Um, Under Netrunner turn, which is why Eddie Guerrero's opponent was disqualified for that use of a chair. Yep, yep. Geist should probably not be legal. 100%. I think we should move to the segment where we talk about something else that should not be legal. Or maybe it should be legal. Josh, do you want to introduce the next segment? Yes, absolutely. And I approve of this this time, Pants. You're welcome. It is time for ban or nab. Ban or nab? Rubicon switch. Ban. 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 Moving on. The next segment that we have is the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it. Sanjay, I believe you have a choice for the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it. I do. So I was conflicted between a good card that I just wanted to be cheeky about and a bad card that is sincerely bad and you shouldn't play it and I'm gonna go with the less spicy take because I'm a coward and the bad card that is still bad and you shouldn't play it is divert the masses it's awful distract the masses distract the masses yeah distract the masses it's so bad that we don't even know the name of it (laughs) so distract the masses I'm Uh, not even looking at it right now and I can tell you what the effect is it just says let the runner win the game agendas are what you use to win you know, sometimes you want to put some agendas back. You know, drudge work. Sometimes you play a little prison deck. You like drudge your agendas back, and they're like, it's a lot to draw your cards. You worked hard to get those into your hand. We'll compensate you with some money. Preemptive action gets three cards back. Distract gives the runner money. You're saying two things with distract the masses. You're saying, I don't need you to run right now, but when you're ready, here's two credits. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Just concede. I had a tough time picking a card for this segment because i will cape for most bad cards but like this card's hurting nice people okay come on it's not that bad like if you're playing a deck that really doesn't want the agendas to come into the hand early and they don't want the runner to have those agendas it may be more important to shuffle those agendas in your deck than giving the runner two credits is all i'm saying Install agenda, then you install Rashid over it, and then you preemptive. Easy peasy. Now your hand's beautiful. Consider the following counter argument, Josh. Play a deck that can score agendas. That's fair, but there was also a four agenda (laughs) Earthrise deck with government takeover. (laughs) Yeah, consider instead playing a deck that can score agendas. Yeah, you're right. That deck couldn't score agendas. <laughs> the best way to beat Flood is to score seven points, you dingus. Also, your agendas are really safe in the runner score area. They cannot score them there. Yeah. Get them out of your hand. Put them in the runner score area. They're safe. That's a spicy take. <laughs> there was a whole suite of like Jackson replacements, right? That came out after Jackson rotated. There was preemptive which i think is one of the most universally played there's like mirage um, attitude adjustment there's a like this is i think the worst of them except probably defense construct yeah i mean i've played defense construct and was happy about it is it because you didn't read it no 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 so i played defense construct before bio vault was printed Mm -hmm. when they printed advanceable upgrade that did something but Mm -hmm. defense construct was the first advanceable upgrade and so you put your defensive upgrade in the remote just kidding it's a edge of world and then you put your say mark two in the remote and advance it once just kidding it's a defense construct and then they come on in and welcome (laughs) to the edge of the world sayonara magellan yeah, which is like completely <laughs> obsoleted by the fact that BioVault is a card that does things. It's obsoleted by a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Also, Jesus Christ, did you just make a flat Earth joke? 
Uh, no, just like the edge of the world would be bad for Magellan. Uh, flat Earthers, they have fans all around the globe. <laughs> Slumscast official take if you are a Flat Earther, we are dunking you. Yes, absolutely. Um, Fuck those people. Yeah, um, attitude adjustment. The like, and... attitude adjustment is pretty good. Gatekeeper, yeah. right, is also a Jackson yeah. Pretty damn good. Yep. The thing about both of them is you can gain positive tempo from them because you either get to draw cards that you get to keep or yeah. get to get actual money Yep. as opposed to like distract the masses takes away your cards and takes away money but that's why this card is bad and i'm reaching and failing to defend it distract um, the masses doesn't respect you and how hard yeah. you work to get your cards yeah like gatekeeper is like look you know just get some cards, and sometimes I know that when you draw three cards, sometimes you get a few more agendas. You know, there are better in-faction ways in almost every faction to do this same thing. There's attitude the, adjustment, there's genotyping, and then there's drudge work. Yeah. This is like that friend, right, that is trying to talk to you and be like, you know, I understand what you're going through, right? But what they're actually doing is they're getting ammunition to talk to your friends about how much of an asshole you are. <laughs> right because like this card doesn't do anything that you can't do in faction and it's like gaslighting you into believing that it's the only thing that yeah, there is, have this sort of effect if, if we think of the situations where distract the masses does things it's like you have to not want your in faction jackson replacement and you have to also not want preemptive or like you have to yeah. Basically, you have to need to go to your third option for distract the masses. And again, if you need to go to the third option for agenda mitigation, your deck probably needs to do different things. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's way true. Again, bringing it back to the friend analogy, it disrespects you so much that it actually respects one of your other friends, in this case, the runner, more. <laughs> um, I am thinking now of the one other Jackson replacement that is not universally bad, but it's on my hated card list, and that is Miraju. It's a Jackson replacement, but it's also a vamp replacement. <laughs> if the runner ever breaks Miraju and sends you into archives and you res it again, one of you is wrong, and it's very likely that it is you. If you res a Mirage a second time, and it's not indexing tech. Right, right. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah That's indexing fine. Whatever. Whatever. I mean, Foundry rotated. You have to make do with what you can get. <laughs> Mirage <Man>. is a <laughs> vamp replacement. <laughs> Mirage is both a Foundry replacement and a vamp replacement. <laughs> that, is, that is a take. I don't know what kind of take, but that's a take. It's accurate. I love breaking Mirage. <laughs> the thing is, like, Mirage is involved in unequivocally my best Netrunner play ever which because this is a slums cast i will not go into nice oh does it involve medium uh no it doesn't because you know what mirage does like it or not shuffle r d <laughs> oh that's a separate clause too right yeah, yeah so if you don't but... draw you still have to shuffle regardless yeah. okay so as always for the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it i do need to note for legal reasons this podcast is not weekly, but this is still a recommendation that is specific to this week. And speaking of legal reasons, Sanjay, we want to talk about some legal reasons with you. In particular, we want to thank you for being a judge and helping Netrunner tournaments run smoothly and fairly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think 
the most wholesome thing I do with my um, aversion to being stressed out about tournaments and not wanting to do well in tournaments because it stresses me out. <laughs> Even though I do, I want to do well in tournaments, mm -hmm. is just judging a tournament. It's a delightful time. Also, you know, chicken shit heel here. They just give you some prize support. I may not like a bandit. I did very well for my alt art collection at Worlds when I judged at Worlds and all the events I judge. Like, so this is something I feel bad about saying, but like, I'm going to still put a bunch of inscrutable alt arts in my deck, but I mm -hmm. feel mm -hmm. bad about it because yeah. it makes the game worse because people are like, what is, what is this? I don't know. But anyway, um, but it so also I'm not makes looking it better to, because yeah. you have two inscrutable alt arts. I think I won a game during King of Servers at Worlds because somebody couldn't tell that my weird conspiracy breaker was Paperclip. That yeah. felt really bad. It's a great art, but yeah. Mm. Anyway, you know, you can participate in a tournament and you just get a bunch of love for it and you go undefeated and it's wonderful. I remember at the FFG Worlds that I judged at, I had this Jessminder deck I was really high on. I thought it was really good and I never had to prove that. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. <laughs> Undefeated at Worlds. <laughs> True. I was doing the exact thing you want to do, pull up an impressive record with a runner. I was pairing it with uh, a Mti Mukwendu deck, so, you know, it should be good, mm -hmm. but I was it was Juman deck, oh, no. so, like, it could do some powerful things, but not consistently. So... The, the card has the numbers on it. That's a very Oh, man, that card's so good. I love Juman. One of the first IDs banned in Ocarina. For good reason, good. Yeah, guy. it's really good. It's oh good. shit! Yeah, like if you don't have to score that, it's so good. Yeah, there were some other IDs that were banned for like less severe offenses, but Government Takeover and Jumon are both like there's no balanced things I can do to these that make them yeah. okay. So this is a bit of a segue to one of the last segments that we have every week: the closing argument. Thinking about judging here, so. This is a question for you, Sanjay. Let's say that you are put in charge of Netrunner rules for exactly one decision. You are allowed to ban any one card so that you never have to answer a judge call about it again. What card is getting banned? Oh, for judge please reasons. Note, please note, as we have discussed, for the health of my heart, spicy takes are not only welcome, but encouraged. I would not ban a single card, but I would just ban regions in general. Ooh. Because the thing about regions is that right here talking to you outside of the context of the pressure of judging, I know that if you have a region in a server and you have another region in your hand, you can install that region and overwrite the other region, throw it in the trash. That's fine. I know that's legal. It's in the comprehensive rules. You can do that. Multiple times, I've had judge calls where somebody asks me, can you do this? And I just don't know. Mm. So yeah, I did not know that that was a play you could make. Uh, it doesn't come up very often, because if you have a region of servo, why do you want another one? I mean, there are some two-region decks. Uh, basically, you're playing a different region in the server. That's the main reason you would do that. So it doesn't come off often. Uh, and it comes up so little that I forget each time. And so I would say either ban all regions, that's an acceptable thing to do, or just give them the console subtype. Jeez. <laughs> I think that the thing about regions is that they're the one card on the corpse side. This is different from unique cards. So, like, you can have two baddies unresed in a remote server, right? Yeah. You cannot have two regions in a server unresed because yeah. the region text is apparently 
specifically active even when the card is unrezzed. So like what Sanjay was saying is when you have an unrezzed region, you can absolutely install the other region in your server, but you have to trash the one that you already have. <laughs> Regions as a card, I, I, I almost even have to agree with this, this take here, are just kind of like in a fucked up rules area, where as a TO, you probably just, you just, you just don't want to deal with them. But if you didn't have to deal with them, like things would be much better. Yeah. If you say limit one region per deck, that still wouldn't solve the install problem. You could still like accidentally install two Sansa and City Grids in the same server. And I mean, A, good way to duck siphon from 13. Mm -hmm. B, Y, C, you still fucked up. Yeah. And they also actually do relate to consoles, Sanjay is right, because when it comes to consoles, unlike unique cards, you cannot install another console over top of the console that you've already installed. Oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah, you actually have to trash the console to be able to install them. Somehow, yep. Mm -hmm. There's also very few subtypes that have specific rules in the comprehensive rules about them. One of them is Icebreakers, which is the most fundamental and mm -hmm. important subtype mm -hmm. of the game, besides Subsidiary. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> The others are just these two things for light flavor reasons. And, you know, now that they're there and we've done all the work to understand them, it's, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, if you're building the game up from scratch, just make it a unique hardware. Just make it a unique upgrade. It's fine. Yeah. Also, the regions are thematically a mess. Like, what happens when you trash the Sand Sand City Grid? Is this data, where is it now? <laughs> In Sand Sand, it just doesn't have a grid. Is that just like you're paying your electric bill in Sand Sand, so now you can finally like connect to the power? So what happens when you like install a different region, right? Like you have two regions in your deck. It's like, oh yeah, we airmailed this computer from Sand Sand to Navi Mumbai. I mean, I think exactly that's the flavor. We airmailed a server. Like honestly, yeah, because some. I mean, some of it works. It's fine that you're a runner on the moon and you're hacking something in Sand Sand. That's fine, though. Your lag time should be huge. I would think that the what does lag time do? I don't know what it does, but oh, I mean, it just increases the strength of ice by like plus one. Yeah, I think if you're Cabanessa Wu, like all the ice should be higher strength. I think she's. I think Wu is on Mars. Anyway, if you're Los, all the ice should be higher strength, except for Sandstorm and um, I don't know, uh, uh, Tythonium. How can Breach Dome affect Earth Runners? I know. They're not on Mars. I know. Grids are fine. Breach Dome is not fine. <laughs> But you were asking me as a judge, not as a flavor judge, which I think I also am not in as much service to the community. From a flavor standpoint, Breach Dome is more egregious than Film Critic by a mile. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not breaching the dome as in the dome over a habitat. Um, they're breaching oh, the dome. Oh god. Your skull. That's, yeah, that's true. Maybe I need to revisit what alt art I make, because I think Breach Dome, all the problems with it can just be fixed with better art. Or alternatively. They are breaching like the Duomo in Florence, and just it is such a beautiful <laughs> oh, fucking fuck. that every runner in the world is like, oh god, I feel physically hurt, and also like I have fewer resources to draw in future turns. I mean, the fact that you've made a pun like that makes me feel exactly like that. So maybe your take is the correctest. <laughs> fuck, Jesus Christ, that's a good one. Though. And on that note. <laughs>
Uh, well, okay. Wait, wait, hold on. Before you're on that note, I do have to sincerely say before Sanjay goes, we want to thank you for being a judge and helping tournaments run smoothly. Sincerely, we appreciate it. And like, I know personally that, well, I mean, Pants knows this too. So the both of us actually know this. You know, what you run a lot is is wacky stuff, but we really love it. I love your big deck tournaments and Ocarina is great. And we sincerely think that it is an awesome thing that you're doing different stuff with Netrunner and, and making memes and decks and, and stuff like that. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. So when I was preparing for being on here, I was like, okay, what are they going to ask me about? And I like made a list of my accomplishments. What jumped to my head was mostly like the blowhard, top 10 in, speed running, edutainment stuff that is, I think, also valuable, but sort of flashy and like, look at me. And um, this is so kind of you to reframe what my contribution to the Netrunner community is in this way. I'm, I feel really happy. <laughs> Thank you. God damn it. We said the slums was not going to make us better people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that we've had an incorrect take, so whatever. Yeah, it tracks. Yeah, okay, that's that's fair. <laughs> nah, I've had a great time. All right, well, on that note, we have reached the end of this episode, unfortunately. If you liked what you heard during this episode, then go ahead and follow the podcast. You can find us on just about every major podcast distribution network. And if you didn't like what you heard today, then please follow us anyway. We still need the followers. That doesn't change just because you didn't like what you heard. I'd like to give some special thanks on this episode. Special thanks to Sanjay. Thank you for being here. This was awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Always been my dream to be on Kitchen Table Netrunner. And I think finally, by being on here, maybe my profile has risen enough that Tristan and Nicole will take notice. So thank you. I was going to ask if you wanted to give shout outs while you're here, but I think I might be not letting you now. <laughs> Do you have any shout outs you want to give? I think, let's see. Um, damn. Uh, so besides all the podcasts, I'm not allowed to shout out other podcasts. <laughs> okay. Um, so besides those, shout out to the Ghost Branch Meta, to Laura, one of the best Netrunner players in the damn world. That is cool. um, shout out to Laura, my wife who predicted that my cat would win worlds and was wrong. Shout out to my friend who agreed to be on a stream where I teach him how to play Netrunner. And I hope that works out. I don't know how to teach Netrunner, so I'm nervous about doing it. So I've procrastinated for a long time. And shout out to you all. Thank you so much for what you do. And what, what do we do? So you have breathed so much life into the Netrunner podcast universe not to imply that there are other podcasts in the netrunner universe we are in a second golden age which i guess comic nerds would call a silver age we are in a second golden age of netrunner podcast content and it's because of you and thank you well thank you you're welcome okay. oh what you forgot to give a shout out to triscuit i did give a shout out to triscuit did you yeah oh okay never mind go on okay <laughs> I don't know if I actually gave a shout out to Triscuit, but shout out to Triscuit, my cat. Important to get that one in. Only member of my house that is Team Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Your cat is the only one that's Team Dog. She hates okay. cats. We love cats. That's why we have her. She hates cats. <laughs> Damn. <I love> cats. <laughs> that's, 
spicy. That's a spicy take by Triscuit. So I will say, you know, Slumscast changing the podcast game. You know, not a spicy take. We are indeed the best, or at least the okayest. <laughs> this episode will not go up during the week that it is relevant, but make sure to go to Sanjay's decklist and give it a heart and a star. Far too late to make it the decklist of the week because this probably will not come out until like mid-February, but such is life. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have reached the end of the episode. Those of you who have any questions or comments after listening to this episode, if you read the show notes, you can find a way to contact us. If you have any concerns, then uh, that means we've done our job. Shit, I had a... I was going to say something, but I've forgotten what that thing is. We might have to bring that up in a future 